0: This message is brought to you by Cedar Springs Church. For more information, please visit cedarspringschurchnm.org. How God's talking to you, because they're hearing the same thing. So, let's pray and we'll get to Psalm 16. Heavenly Father, as we have just sung, we, we now pray... And look forward to you revealing your glory to us, for you to grow us more into the likeness of Christ so that we can also glorify you like he does. Father, I pray that you would soften our hearts, that you would open our eyes again. In a better way, in a deeper way, to the the gift that we have in Christ. To the ways that we have been blessed and ultimately how we have been redeemed and, and, and will be brought into your presence, Lord, so that right now we can start with joy and delight and peace, Father. It is in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. I'd like to begin this morning by asking you how good you are at giving directions. Like, have you ever been talking to one of those people? We're about halfway through the directions, you're like, I'm out. uh, You lost me, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, like you ask them, like, how do I get to this house or whatever? And they say, well, what you're going to do is go down to the end of the street and you're going to see a green mailbox and you turn right there. And then you're going to see an orange mailbox with a star on it. You turn left there. And then you're going to see this, this big green tree. It's a beautiful tree. They they decorated it at Christmas. It's really cool. Go past that. If you get to the house with the purple gate, you've gone, you're like, "I'm done." Right? That kind of person? What determines whether or not you can give good directions or not? Is it familiarity? Is it clarity? Is it experience? Or perhaps is it a mixture of all three? Like how good are you at giving directions to your own home? I would guess if you've lived there for any length of time, you're probably pretty good at it because you've gone there day after day. You, you have experienced and are familiar with the, with the different routes to and from because you've taken them all. So let me ask you about a different kind of directions. How good are you at giving directions to joy and fulfillment and hope? Are you familiar enough with those things? Have you experienced them often enough that you can tell someone else how to get there? Are you aware of the forks in the road on the way to those things in order to be clear and concise? Have you experienced joy and fulfillment and hope frequently enough to know the route there from any direction? What I want you to do this morning is I want you to look at where we're headed. Look where David is giving us directions to at the end of Psalm 16. In verse 11, David writes, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Would you like to go there? Would you like to know the path of life, the fullness of joy, and pleasures forevermore? Now you might say, of course I want to go there, but that's really easy for a king to say. However, what I think is interesting is that easy was never really a word used to define David's life. Besides the the wars and the assassination attempts and the mutiny, David had like eight wives and some number of concubines, which any guy will tell you means his life was a mess. So how in the world does David, not to mention us, get to verse 11? That's the question I want you to be able to answer this morning. How do I get to Psalm 16, verse 11? How do I get to Psalm 16, verse 11. And I want, you to, I want to show you three answers to that question, three directions that David gives us to find our way to verse 11. I want you to see how David's commitment to the Lord, how David's contentment in the Lord, and how David's confidence in the Lord is, is how he got to verse 11. His contentment His commitment and his confidence. Look back at verse 1 of Psalm 16, where David found his way to verse 11 by his commitment to the Lord. He says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their name on my lips. Now what I want you to notice is that in verses 1 and 2, we have a sandwich. Okay? I want you to see that at the end of verse 1, David says that one piece of bread is, is in you I take refuge. And then at the end of verse 2, he says the other piece of bread is, I have no good apart from you. So on one side I take refuge, and then on the other side, I have no good apart from you. And then in the middle of those two, he says, you are my Lord. The point that David is making is he has, he has found that refuge and good comes only with calling God your Lord. That refuge and that, that, that help, that per, per, perseverance, the good that he asks for, can only be asked when you submit to God as Lord. In other words, David found his refuge and good because he had committed himself to his Lord. He had put, you are my Lord, at the center of his life. So where do you find refuge? Where do you look for safety and security and shelter? If you're generally interested in knowing, the answer to that question is usually found in what frightens you. Meaning, where you look for refuge and security is usually revealed by what makes you feel anxious and uneasy. For example, when you hear about the disintegration of our government or courts, something like that, does that make you feel anxious or uneasy? Well, if it does, then you're looking to politicians and government for refuge. When you see financial markets in chaos, does that put that little lump of concern in your throat? If it does, you're looking to your wealth for your security. When you see your your children or your marriage or something like that in in tumult, do you feel that upside-down overwhelming feeling? Because if you do, then what that says is you are looking to your family for your refuge and security. But what I think is interesting is that if there was anyone in the Bible who could have found refuge apart from God, it was David. David was a talented, tough, very smart, rich dude. I mean, his entrance onto the public scene was as about a 14-year-old killing a giant with a sling and a stone while the whole of Israel's army sat on the sidelines cowering. When he served in Saul's army... The chant that the people made were, Saul has killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands. While David was running from Saul in the wilderness, his little group of men was like a little special forces group. They were fighting Israel's enemies, often outnumbered, yet always victorious. And when he finally became king, he was feared and, and respected. In such a way that he ushered in the golden years of Israel that his son Solomon eventually oversaw. Yet you will never hear David tell you the path to security was through his sword or his armies or his shield or his wealth. You will never hear him say that. You will only hear him repeat again and again and again what he says here in Psalm 16. That he found his refuge in the Lord alone. Verse 11, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. David found himself there because he committed himself to God for his refuge. But it wasn't just the Lord's refuge that David committed himself to. Notice, second, David also committed himself to the Lord as his only source of good. Look closely at at, at the end of verse 2. Because what we see here in seven short words is, is simultaneously one of the hardest things for a Christian to learn, while at the same time, one of the most essential things for a Christian to learn. After saying that you are my Lord, David says, I have no good apart from you. In other words, one of the most essential lessons that any Christian can learn is to be absolutely convinced that not only is his God good, but but that not the slightest sliver of good comes apart from him. Listen, here's why That, that is one of the best lessons a Christian can learn. To be very, very practical what David has learned when it comes to good is there are no shortcuts. There are no shortcuts to good. What I would say is, is the essence of sin is trying to take a shortcut to verse 11. And the disappointment and the shame that follows is always the result of taking that, or that shortcut. For example, a young woman might try to take a shortcut to something good like love and security by giving in to her boyfriend. A man might try to take a shortcut to something good like pleasure or something like that through pornography or adultery. A gossip might look for a shortcut to something good like significance, mattering, by spilling the latest juicy news. Uh, uh, an unforgiving person might look for a shortcut to something good like justice by taking vengeance on themselves. A fearful person might look for something good, a, a shortcut to something good by, by, by looking through control and striving. They might try to find peace that way. Love. Pleasure, significance, justice, peace, these are all good things. But in all those examples, they're looking for a shortcut to that good apart from God. And what ends up happening every time, every time is those efforts to find good apart from God always turns into just more bitterness, disappointment, shame, and regret. But David found himself in verse 11 because he had committed himself to the Lord as his only source of good. We can do that too. When one commits themselves to the Lord as their only source of good, what they will find is a good that exceeds their wildest expectations. A man and a woman who commit to find their good in God alone can find security and love and pleasure in a marriage that they could never have imagined. A gossip who who seeks their their significance, seeks to know they matter through God alone, will find a creator who made them in their own image and sent his son to die for them. Someone seeking justice can find a satisfaction that only the promise of God's vengeance can bring. A fearful person can find the peace that that passes understanding if they go to God, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. David found himself there because he committed himself to the Lord as his refuge and as his only source of good. But look at verse three, where third, David had also committed himself to the Lord's saints. He says, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Listen, a commitment to God will always produce a commitment to God's people. We see this all over Scripture. Just before this in Psalm 15, verse 4, David said, Those who dwell with God are those who honor others who fear the Lord. Jesus said in John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35, He said, A new commandment I give you to love one another like I have loved you. And they will know you are my disciples because of your love for one another. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, if you all remember, Peter said, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Someone who is committed to the Lord is committed to the Lord's saints. And David says, that's not an obligation. Look, he says, by committing himself to the Lord, he found delight in the Lord's saints. Could you give someone directions to delight in the Lord's saints? Could you do that? Could you tell someone how to get to delight in the Lord's saints? Because let's just be honest. Really. Really. The Lord's saints are nothing if not weird. Right? Doesn't it seem like sometimes the church is a weirdo magnet? You throw in some hypocrisy, a little bit of pride, and, and you got about a perfect definition of a Christian. So how did David find delight in committing, to, committing himself to the Lord's saints? Well, it wasn't because of the saints themselves, I can guarantee you that. But it was because they were the Lord's. If you, I know you've had that experience where someone who is super proud of their newborn baby comes and shoves a picture in front of your face and you throw up in your mouth a little bit. Because <clears throat> the child is just ugly. You have to fight back that urge to be like, so what did you name your furry little me? I mean, your newborn baby. The thing is, though, is those parents were delighted by their child, as ugly as they were. They were delighted by that child. <clears throat> David's delight in the saints wasn't because of who they were, but because of why they were saints, because of whom they belonged to. David had committed himself to the, to the weirdos known as the Lord's saints because they were, were the ones that, despite all their flaws, belonged to the Lord. He found delight in what the the Lord was was doing through them and, and in them. He delighted in them because through them he saw his Lord at work. So how about you? To whom have you committed yourself? And there are some in this room who need to spend a little bit of time answering that question. If you are committed to God, then why are you not committed to your fellow weirdos in this room? Why do you do as little as possible to be around people that God not only placed in your life purposefully, but that he sent his son to die for? You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Do you know the way there? David found his way there by committing himself to the Lord. Committing himself to the Lord's refuge, to the Lord's good, and to the Lord's saints. But David's commitment wasn't the only marker on his way to verse 11. Look at verse 5, where David found himself at verse 11 because of his contentment in the Lord. He says, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because He is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Now I want you to notice how David is content in two distinct ways. First, notice in verses 5 and 6 how David says he is content with what the Lord has given him, right? No, that is not what it says. Look closer. David says in verse 5 that the Lord is his chosen portion. Not what the Lord had given him. The Lord himself is his chosen portion. Which means that in verse 6, the pleasant places are anywhere his Lord is. Because his beautiful inheritance is the Lord. The great king of Israel, who had anything and everything he ever wanted, is not talking about a physical location or stuff. He's talking about his contentedness in the Lord himself. David's not content because the Lord has given him power or wealth or fame or or success. No, David is content because the Lord has given him himself. How about you? On a scale of 1 to 10, how accurately could you give someone directions to contentment, satisfaction, fulfillment, You can usually find the answer to that question by looking at what you're pursuing with your time and your money. Where do you feel the urge to spend your money? That little flutter in your wallet that says, I gotta have it. Is it on new toys or the latest gadgets or something like that? If it is, then the answer is you could give very good directions to how to find contentment in this world. If you've ever seen the movie The Martian with Matt Damon, you'll remember the the barrenness of this landscape that they filmed this movie in in order to try to mimic uh, the landscape of Mars. The interesting thing is, though, is that the location where they filmed the Martian is the Jordanian wilderness, which is where David spent a lot of his time running from Saul. Saul. And many scholars think that this Psalm 16 could have been written at that time. So picture David, years later, finally standing on the, on the roof of his newly built palace on top of a hill, overlooking all of Jerusalem. And he's saying, finally, I'm here. I've made it. I could do some living in here. Right? Now erase the palace and the hill and Jerusalem and put David smack in the middle of the wilderness where this movie, The Martian, was filmed and have him say the same thing. Finally, this is all a man could ever want. Sand and a weed and some rocks. My lines have have surely fallen in pleasant places. Because you see, we get stuck thinking the only way to contentment is on the, the rooftop of the palace on a hill with a bunch of fancy chariots in the garage. But David had figured out that he already had the greatest treasure he ever wanted and he belonged to him no matter where he was. David had found the pearl of great price. and He had it in his pocket. Wherever he went, it went with him. He had found the treasure Hidden in a field, he had figured out that his Lord had given him himself as a portion and as an inheritance. And David is asking you this morning, do you want that? Because I can give you directions there. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. David found himself there because David was content with the Lord as his portion. Second, notice how David also found himself or found his way to verse 11 because he was content with the Lord's instruction. He says, I bless the Lord in verse 7, who gives me counsel in the night. Also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. In other words, David was content with the direction the Lord had for his life. Think of it this way. David does not see the Lord's instruction as a burden, as a trial, as a hardship. Look, he sees it as protection. He sees it as a foundation. He sees it as a safe path. He says in the end of verse 8, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. He doesn't need another direction. He doesn't need better, more fulfilling instructions for where he wants to go. David is content with where God's counsel will take him. Now, let's ask a very important question. Why would David be content with the Lord's counsel alone? The answer is pretty simple. After you have seen the Lord's directions and instructions guide you to verse 11 after you've seen the Lord's directions prove trustworthy and right time and time again, why would you feel the need to look elsewhere? David had experienced this firsthand. He had got right where he wanted to be, and when he followed the Lord's counsel, when he followed the Lord's instructions, it took him right where he wanted to go, and he had the confidence to be content with the Lord's counsel from there on out. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Do you want to go there? David says, the way there is I committed myself to the Lord and I was content in the Lord. And lastly, on our road to verse 11, notice David's confidence in the Lord in verse 9. He says, therefore... Because of this commitment that I have seen play out, because of this contentment I have seen play out, therefore, because my God has proven himself, therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. Now just to be clear, that word Holy One there is, a, is another word for anointed. King of Israel was anointed. Prophets, or excuse me, priests were anointed. But we've got a problem in verse 9 and 10. Do you, do you see it? Can you see the traffic backing up behind the wreckage that David has described on this way to verse 11? David's directions to verse 11 are falling apart because there's something wrong with what he said. David says in verse 9 and 10 that his flesh dwells secure because the Lord will not abandon his soul to Sheol or let him see corruption. Do you see the problem? The problem is that David is saying he is confident the Lord will not let him rot. That the Lord will not abandon him to the grave or let his body see decay. The problem is is that David did die like 3,000 years ago. His body is way beyond decay. His bones are dust. So, what in the world is going on here? Did we miss a turn? A detour? How did David get to verse 11 if his directions through commitment and contentment and confidence have dead-ended in death? Well, Peter actually gives us the answer to this question in Acts chapter 2. Turn there. Turn to Acts chapter 2 where Peter is going to tell us. why this is the case about a thousand years after david in acts chapter 2 the holy spirit has just descended and peter is giving his very first holy spirit inspired message sermon to thousands of people in jerusalem and in his first message he's explaining to them why they should believe that jesus is the savior the old testament promised And when he got to the part where he was talking about how Jesus rose from the dead, where do you think Peter went to show that's what the Old Testament said Jesus would do? Psalm 16. I want you to listen very closely to what Peter says, beginning in verse 24. Peter says, speaking of Jesus, God raised him up For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Now did you catch what Peter said in verse 25? Peter said David wasn't talking about himself. Peter said that David was talking about Jesus when he wrote Psalm 16. That changes everything. That means that these aren't David's directions. That means David is giving us Jesus's directions. Go back to Psalm chapter 16 because I want you to listen to this Psalm different now. I want you to listen to the commitment and to the contentment and to the confidence of Jesus. The Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night. Also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because He is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, the man who hung on the cross and died... Says, My heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Let's go all the way back to the question at the beginning. How did David find himself in verse 11 of Psalm 16. Because the answer for him and for us has changed. How did David find himself in Psalm 16, verse 11? The answer is, David has still found his way to, to verse 11. He's still there, but he's found his way there through his Savior. And brothers and sisters, we can still find our way to verse 11 through that same Savior. The only difference between us and David is David was just looking to his Savior in the future, and we're looking to him in the past. Same Savior, same road, same direction, just to verse 11, just different sides of the resurrection. Brothers and sisters, David found himself in verse 11 because his Savior was committed to God the Father. John chapter 6, verse 37 and 38. Jesus says that he only did the will of his Father. Brothers and sisters, David found himself in verse 11 because his Savior was content with God the Father. You can read in Luke chapter 4 the story of Satan tempting Jesus with all kinds of extra things. And Jesus was content to say, No thanks, Satan. I love what God gave me. It's plenty. It's, it's plenty. Brothers and sisters, David found himself in verse 11 because his Savior was confident that God the Father would not abandon him to the grave. And as he was taking his last breath, in Luke chapter 23, Jesus said, Into your hands I commit my spirit. Because Jesus had confidence that the Father would not let his flesh see corruption. that He would not abandon him to the grave. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Brothers and sisters, I ask you again, do you want to go there? The question I said I wanted you to be able to answer this morning was was how do I get there? If you're here this morning and you don't believe in Jesus, and you can't seem to find your way to fulfillment and joy and confidence and pleasure, let me tell you something, you can't take yourself there. There's only one way to get there. Jesus is the only one who can take you there. And He stands ready to take you there if you want to go. If you want to go to verse 11, Jesus stands ready to take you there. He called it the narrow path because there is only one way, there is only one vehicle that has enough gas in it to get to verse 11. But you've got to let Jesus do the driving. And all you have to do is believe. Just believe that you are a sinner who needs the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ the, the perfect commitment, the perfect contentment, the perfect confidence in the Lord. Just believe that you need His perfectness applied to your broken life. That's it. And He'll take you to verse 11. And when you get there, when you believe, when you find yourself in verse 11, let me tell you and everyone else in this room, here's the cool thing. Everything else in Psalm 16 is unlocked to us through faith in Christ. In Christ, God is our refuge and all our good comes from Him. We can be content with the counsel and instruction of our Lord because in Christ, God's only counsel to us is for our good. It's it's our foundation, It's, it's our stability and our security. And listen to this, we can have confidence that when we get to verse 11, we can stay there. because because like Christ, we will not be abandoned to the grave either. So let me ask you again, do you know how to get to verse 11? Could you give someone directions there? If your answer is yes, let me just ask you to show your work. How do you know that you know that? How do you know you know your way to verse 11? How do you know you could explain how to get to verse 11? The answer is pretty simple. If you followed Jesus' directions to verse 11, if you've allowed Jesus to take you there, if you've allowed him to drive you to verse 11, then others are going to recognize it and want to go there too. Listen, if you're living in verse 11, you're going to cause a commotion in a world of poverty and sorrow. That's how you know. If you followed Christ to verse 11, then like a deep belly laugh in a quiet theater, your joy is going to draw attention. If you've allowed your Savior to take you to verse 11, then your peace and security is going to shine like a beacon in a dark world of fear and anxiety. Brothers and sisters, are you living in fullness of joy and the pleasures forevermore, the hope that that is yours in Christ, that, that, that Christ brought those things and gave them to you as He walked out of the grave? I would say the question we need to ask ourselves this morning is not do you know how to get to verse 11, but can this world hear the saints of the Lord? Can they hear them in verse 11? Can they hear your joy and your delight and your love and your peace and your hope? Can this world hear the raucous cheer of captives set free from the sting of death by the resurrection of Christ? Can can this world hear the sound of the saints who have found the path of life Can this world hear the fullness of your joy? Can this world hear the sound of the saints who know they will have pleasures forevermore when they see their Savior face to face? Can this world hear the sound of the saints living, not knowing, living, experiencing? Verse 11 of Psalm chapter 16. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we have to tap the brakes here for just a minute and then express how humbling it is that you would Provide space for us on your bus to to go where you are. We do not deserve it. We have to confess that nothing inside of us is worthy of the gift that you have given us in yourself, much less the blessings that come with you. And so, Father, all we are left to do is to worship, to glorify you, to praise you, to magnify your name, and to enjoy your company. To rest in your presence and your salvation and your redemption. Father, I pray that that you would teach us what that looks like by, by growing in our hearts a supernatural understanding of what you have done through us through Christ. That as your word says, we couldn't help but cry out, Let the, lest the rocks take our place. Father, all of this you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ, and so it is in his name and his name alone that we pray. Amen.